It's good to be here this morning. Uh, I, man, it kind of stole my shtick. I was going to say, you know, um, Derek, you know, uh, lets first-time visitors come and preach at his church, and you might have to question his ecclesiology, but <laughs> never mind. Uh, hey, just a little bit behind me, uh, Bobby Gaither, I'm a pastor down in the Portland area. Hillsboro is like a bedroom community uh, of Portland. There's Portland, then Beaverton, then Hillsboro. Um, it's kind of a strange place because it used to be kind of a farming community. Now it's, it's, it's the identity of Hillsborough itself is kind of weird. It's kind of gentrified. Half of it's gentrified, half of it's not. Uh, so it's just a really interesting place to be. Um, yeah, I'm all, uh, we also planted uh, right about the same time that Roots planted in 2017. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I've just had the joy of getting to know Derek and his family uh, both at pastor retreats and NAB retreats. And I'll, I'll, let me just say this. Um, has Chris Gorman been up here? I imagine. You, do you guys know Chris? He's preached here before, I, I take it. Uh, we belong to such a wonderful organization in the NAB. And a big part of that is Chris pastors us, he shepherds us, um, brings us together, and it's been, it's been so good. Um, I noticed while we were singing, like, you're my people. This is how I know. I'm a Baptocostal. <laughs> what that means is I'm a Baptist pastor that was raised in a Pentecostal church. I knew all the Baptist jokes growing up. And now I'm on the other side, and I know all the Pentecostal jokes. It's great. Now, just so you know, that doesn't mean, you know, I don't play with snakes or anything during worship services, and there's nothing like that happening at all. But here's, here's what I heard and what I want to encourage you to do. Um, if God so moves you, and you hear something that stirs your soul, can I get an amen? amen. Okay, let me try that again. Because some of you wanted to, to even clap. I heard that back there. If God so moves you by the word that is preached, and you want to give a hallelujah, can you give a hallelujah? hallelujah? Thank you. Okay, we're in the right place then. Okay. Um, hey, the title of today's message is A Very Bold Hope. I think I just put a bold hope, but it's a very bold hope. The word very is actually in the Greek, okay? And I'm going to begin with just this axiom right here. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, whether you have a religious philosophical system or not, everybody believes in a gospel. Everybody. Everybody believes in a gospel. Gospel simply means good news, right? But this good news, that in which you hope in, that which you hope for, it actually, it's shaped by your worldview. Or maybe, should I say, it actually shapes your worldview. And surprisingly, can I, I feel like I can't see you guys. There we go. Poor guy. I, we're, I see you there, man. Okay. Um, surprisingly, everyone's gospel elements has exactly the same four elements. It has a creation fall, redemption, and glorification or new creation element to it. It's just so great, Derek, that you came. I mean, there's, you're preaching the gospel right here to these kids. You're preaching the gospel, the, the creation element of the gospel. 
And so in our passage today, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 3. And I've preached this passage several times. Typically, I go towards the transformation element. We're going to talk about that, about how the gospel transforms you. But I, I, I want it to lead specifically for you Christians today to help you understand why we have a very bold hope. That is what the gospel, that is what the gospel of Jesus calls us to. And if you're here today and you, you don't know, you don't believe, maybe you're just here checking out this church because it has a bunch of nice people in it. Maybe you can understand today why these people have a bold hope. So would you uh, open your Bibles uh, to 2 Corinthians 3, and we're going to read verses 7 through 18. Do you guys stand when you read? Can, I, can, can, we, like, can we go Baptocostal Lutheran today? And would you stand with me just in honor of God's word, in honor of uh, his inerrant, glorious, transcendent, eminent word. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 7. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once, has, <clears throat> what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with such glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we pray, I pray this morning, that your word would speak, that your gospel would be clear. Lord, that the hearts and the minds of those who are here, Lord, that they would hear it, Lord, and they would perceive that you would... Lord, that you would speak in such a way through my lips, Lord, through your word, that they would accurately perceive the glory of your Son, Jesus, the Christ. Lord, that the gospel would take root, that it would shape and mold and sanctify and transform we who believe. Lord, that it would capture the hearts of those who are here and that it would save. It is only by your gospel that this happens we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to speak to you 
under the following elements. It's we have, we've been given a glorious gospel. We have a glorious Savior. We are transformed by that glory. Church, the same gospel that saves you, sanctifies you. The same grace that saves you, sanctifies you. And lastly, we have been given, we have a very glorious, a very bold hope. Okay. Sorry. So just a brief context here. Um, we kind of started in the middle of this passage where, where Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's explaining this event on Mount Sinai, this event where Moses goes up the mountain and he receives the commandments, right? I mean, most people kind of know that story where Moses went up to the mountain, he received the Ten Commandments, he came down. But this is what many of us don't know. His face glowed afterwards. Like, the people of Israel literally said, hey, Moses, put a lampshade on it. Because his face is glowing and it's, it's scary to them. So Moses comes down from the mountain, his face is glowing, they, he didn't know it. He ended up putting a lampshade, or no, I keep on using the word lampshade. He put a veil over his face. And so the context of what, what Paul is writing to the people in, in, in Corinth is he's writing to a, a, a church and he's urging them not to give in to the Judaizers, not to give in to these, these super apostles who sought to discredit Paul and take them captive, take them captive once again to this the system of works, the salvation by works. And let me tell you, church, and let me tell you, all, all of you who are here, the world's gospel is a salvation by works. That's our default. If I'm good enough, if I'm smart enough, if I'm a nice enough person, if I do more good deeds than I do bad deeds, my good deeds are going to outweigh my bad deeds and then God's going to accept me. Right? And that's what Paul is saying. Don't go back to that. That system fails. That's not a gospel. That's not good news. And so we're going to go through and, and talk about why that is. Okay? And so if you just kind of look at verses 3 through 11, I just want to, I just want to separate, delineate for you. Right? The, the Jewish commandments and that gospel, that good news under the old covenant, and it, that it's not good news, and then the good news of Jesus, okay? So under the law, under the law, the law was of the letter, okay? Under the spirit, the law, is the new covenant is of the spirit. Under the law, it's carved on letters of stone. It's a rule. It's, it's a list of rules. It's ten commandments. It's ten things you put on the wall that you have to do, Right? Under the new covenant, it's on human hearts. The law is written on your hearts. You actually want to do them. Hey, who here sees a rule and thinks, oh man, I just can't wait to follow that rule? I mean, don't you see the speed, 70, and think, hmm, I want to go 75. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you're a little more safer than I am. When someone says, don't do this, what do you want to do? You want to do it, Right? Like your flesh rises up in you and says, I want to do it. Under the new covenant, God writes his law on your heart. So you want to obey him. 
Under the law, this is a ministry of condemnation. It's a ministry of death. That's what he calls it. What was God doing in the Ten Commandments but showing you all the things that you really couldn't do because you're fallen? He shows his, his perfect, glorious nature, and he shows, guess what? You can't do this. You need a Savior. Under the new covenant, it's a ministry of righteousness. It's a ministry of life. We're going to talk about how that comes about through the gospel of Jesus. Under the law, it's a glory that faded, so Moses' face didn't always stay lit up. Basically, what happened is Moses came into the presence of God. It, it's like those little glow stars that you have on, on your, your wall, right, kids? You know about the glow stars? Yeah, right? You put those glow stars up. You have to turn the light on. It kind of powers up the glow stars. You turn them off, and then it, it shines for a little bit, and then it fades. Whereas opposed to the gospel, this is a glory that's permanent, that never fades, that continues actually to grow in glory. You and I are continually being made into the image of Jesus, the glory of Jesus. It's, it's, in fact, this glory is so great that, it's, that, that the glory of the law is made to have no glory at all because it can't change you. In fact, the glory of Jesus, it, it exceeds in glory. See, Moses was the mediator, mediator of the old covenant and he died. But Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant, and he resurrected and rose again, and he lives eternally, and he is at the right hand of the Father. It is a better covenant. It is a better gospel. So the old covenant was not designed to procure man's salvation. Here's why. It couldn't transform the heart. I mean, can we just be honest as people and, and just... Just say, like, regardless of your religious philosophical system in here, that we got problems. And can you just be honest, like when you look at yourself in the mirror, Christian or not, that there are times that my selfishness pervades and I do things and I say things that I know I shouldn't. No one wants to amen that. But it's true, isn't it? I mean, I'm a selfish human being. Like, this can be, this would very well be an AA meeting, right? <laughs> like, hi, I'm Bob, I'm selfish, and you're, hi, Bob. But here's the thing, God doesn't leave us there. This is the gospel that saves us and transforms us. And we see the glory of this gospel lived out, played out in the lives of people who continue to walk in faith and trust Jesus. I started, I started by saying everybody has a gospel. Let me explain a little bit what I mean before I move on to the next point. Those four elements are creation, fall, redemption, and either new creation or glorification, Okay? depending on what words you want to put to them. Creation. Here's, here's what's wrapped up in this creation element. Our truth. Where do we get our truth? Friends, where do we get our truth? So it, it, in the church, we would say God's word. Right? Okay. In the world, we say science. We say ourselves. This is what I think is true. This is what I feel. This jives with me. Okay? 
We all have a place we go to for truth. What else? Identity. Everybody has a place where they put their identity. I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm a father. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. I'm a, I'm a businessman. I'm a whatever it is, right? We can put our identity in other things like sexual orientation, okay? We can put our identity in all sorts of things. Everybody has a creation element, and it has truth, identity, and then therein lies significance. Like, this is my significance. This is my purpose. This is, this is what fulfills me, right? We all want to be fulfilled. And in Christ, we say that that fulfillment comes from God. Everybody has a fall. Everybody has a fall, right? What's wrong with the world? That's the fall. And it can be, it can be a, a political system. It can, be, it can be my boss who didn't give me the raise that I deserve. It can be my ex-spouse or my current spouse. Nobody amens that, please. Everybody has a fall. This is what's wrong with the world. If this could be changed, man, the world would be right. Everybody has a savior. This is, this is who needs to change, or this is who needs to save me. Man, if I just had a different boss, that'd be my savior. If my husband was more like this, or I had a different husband, that'd be my savior. And guess what? In that same thing is atonement. Well, who's going to pay for what's wrong? Who's going to pay? This is what's wrong. This is what you did to me. Justice needs to be served. Do you know that justice is just, it's written on our hearts? It's stamped on, on humanity because we're made in his image. We have this idea that justice needs to happen, don't we? So who's going to pay? This is what's wrong. Who's going to pay? And lastly, it's the new creation. It's heaven. What does heaven look like? Everything's perfect. Everything's good. It's a utopia, right? It's a utopia where, where all is made right in the world. Everybody has a gospel. Everybody. So here's the question. Which gospel is true? And I'm, I'm here today to tell you that there's only one gospel that's true. There's only one gospel. There's only one Savior who can truly bring hope. Look at verse 12. Paul says this, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face. We're going to get to that later. So that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. That glory was fading. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. You see, the Christian gospel is this. Who's the reason for the fall? It's me. It's humanity. 
I mean, we might blame Adam and Eve, but guess what? <laughs> if we were there, we would have done the same thing, right? Like, who here thinks that they, they would have a better sense of right and wrong than Adam and Eve, who were made in God's image, put in a garden, could talk with God? So, what is our fall element, believers? Like, we, we believe we're the issue. And someone has to save us from ourselves, from our own sin, from our own tendency to break the law, to do the wrong thing, to be selfish, to misorder truth. This is our glorious Savior. You see, the people of Israel couldn't see the source of the glory with Moses, nor did they see it when the Son of God, Jesus himself, was in their midst. Think about it. Okay, I, I believe that this is the inspired word of God. I believe it's true. I believe these accounts of Jesus and his miracles and his resurrection is in fact true. I'm a little bit of a social psychologist. In fact, my undergrad psychology, we'll get to that a little later. But just think about it. Eleven guys who when Jesus was taken, when Jesus was arrested, they fled. Peter and John kind of hung out kind of drew near, kind of figured out what was going on. But when Jesus was crucified, bam, the disciples were gone. Why? Because they were scared. They thought it was over. And those same 11 apostles, those same 11 disciples, all gave their life for the sake of the gospel. I think that is one of the best testimonies to the authenticity of Scripture. Would anyone in here be willing to die, to be crucified upside down, to be beheaded, to be, to be sent to an island before Malta was like a really cool place? To be boiled alive for the sake of a lie. So here's the gospel. He's saying that we have this glorious Savior who removes this veil from our hearts so that we can see God so that we can know him, so that we can be changed. So when one turns to the Lord, that veil is removed. It, and here's the thing, is that veil goes from the face to the heart. It goes from the face to the heart of, the, of Israel. Do you understand that God is one who sees the heart? What, what does he mean by heart? He's just not just talking about emotions and feelings. Those, those, that, those are part of the person, though. He's talking about the whole person, body, mind, soul, all of us, every part of you. And when we behold the glory of our Lord with our heart, our affections change. This is part of the glory of the gospel. Look ahead, if you would, to chapter 4, verse 3 through 6. Part of what Paul's battling here is the people of Israel himself didn't accept their Savior. They, they, they knew the Messiah was coming, but they didn't accept him. And Paul's trying to explain why. How could that be? And he says this, our gospel's veiled. Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. These people are perishing. And in their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of the Christ who is the image of God. Do you understand that? 
that we live in a spiritual world. We live in a spiritual world. And the God of this world, Satan, has blinded. This is his work to blind the eyes of people, to blind the eyes of the world, to keep them from seeing the glory. What do I mean by glory? The beauty. The perfection. The wonder. The manifest perfection of God in Christ. He has blinded the world. And then he says this, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now get this. Verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. This is that creation narrative. Just as God created light from the darkness, has done this. Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean? The light of the knowledge, meaning light means our brains, our minds experience. We know the knowledge of the glory. We, we get to know God and have an experiential knowledge of God, of his glory. And we see that in the face of Jesus, his son. This is our glorious salvation, friends. This is the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. It's shown in our hearts. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were spiritually blind. And the glory of God has shown in our heart. Believer, can you think back to your conversion and identify why? Why do I believe today and I didn't yesterday? This, this is a work of God. And it's a work of God. And he does this through removing the veil that we can see him. That we can see his beauty. That we can see his glory. And it happens through the Spirit. This is why we read in verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We read at the end of verse 18, for this comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. This is a spiritual work. And it's done in and through Jesus. So, so here's, here's where I, I, I want to speak the gospel, the Christian gospel, to the gospel of the world. Because the gospel of the world would say, I can earn my salvation. But I don't think the gospel of the world understands that God himself was dishonored when we, as a humanity, sinned against him. We think of God as some impersonal force. We think of God as if he doesn't need to have justice. When really... Every, every ounce of our being that cries out for justice when something is done wrong to us is infinitely more magnified when someone sins against God. And forgive me, I, I, like I know I'm a Baptist pastor, so I'm not trying to bring the fire and brimstone here, okay? But, but I want you to understand. I want you to understand that you can't earn your way to salvation. And this is what makes this good news. This is what makes this glorious because God did it for you. Yes. This is the good news. Because, listen, 
We are talking about the ministry of reconciliation between a holy, perfect, eternal God and sinful, selfish human beings like you and me. Make no mistake, God will not be mocked. He is perfectly just, and the wages of sin is death. The blood of bulls, of goats, even Moses' life could not atone for the sin of Israel. Your own life does not atone for your sin. Why? Because we sinned against the holy, perfect God in order for justice to be made, in order for reconciliation to happen, we have to repair the rift between God and man. Because only something of equal dignity and worth to the value of the one sinned against can atone for sin. Look, this is, this is the gospel. Do you know why Jesus, Jesus had to come and die for you? Because only Jesus is equal to God. You and I, we sinned against God. But put it this way. If I'm a pastor, and I'm not saying I don't make much, but I don't make much. Okay? If I wrecked, if I wrecked uh, my old neighbor's lotus, I couldn't pay him back. I, 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 don't have the, I don't have the capital. I don't have the money to pay him back. That's a $250,000 lotus. I don't even have that much in my retirement. So it is with you and God. When we dishonor God, we don't have the capital to pay him back. Because we're not equal. We, we, we don't have it. We're, we're one of his created things. And we have his image stamped on us, which makes us valuable and significant to him. And that's amazing. That's a whole other thought in and of itself. But only Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, is equal to the value and the dignity and the worth and the glory of God the Father himself. Now do you understand why Jesus had to die for you and me and the whole world? His blood was sufficient to atone for the sins of all the world, all of humanity that ever has and ever will exist. That's how amazing Jesus is. Yes. This is the gospel. That's the Savior we need because you can't save yourself. So friends, please understand that Moses going up to the fiery mountain was glorious. But Jesus carrying his cross up to Calvary Mountain to offer atonement for the sins of the world was more glorious. We have a glorious Savior, a glorious new covenant, and this is what God's glory does it transforms you and I the gospel is not just something that saves us for the future but it is something that transforms and redeems us now verse 18 changed me it wrecked my paradigm and put it back together Because I think we in the church, we can often get in this rut of trying to earn our own salvation of by, by and through 
doing our own sanctification. God, okay, I know you saved me, and I grew up under this gospel, and this, this is a farce. This, this is a false gospel. Let me, listen, the gospel that says, God saved you, he's washed your sins from here back, now it's up to you to keep yourself sinless from here forward. And if you die with sin on your heart, you're going to hell. That's the gospel I was raised under. I mean, just imagine the fear and the condemnation. I mean, I'm afraid to trip and say a bad word. It's kind of a joke, but it's not. That's not the gospel that we have in Jesus. Does it mean that we don't pursue godliness? Yes, we pursue godliness. But how does that come about? This is the glory of the gospel. Look at verse 18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. God is changing us. He is transforming us from the same image. Who is that image? Who is that image? Jesus. Jesus is that. God is changing us into the image of Christ. So I told you, I told you earlier, uh, my undergrad psychology, I, I grew up in a pretty, um, sorry mom and dad, but un- dysfunctional home. And I, I think they would tell you that too. Uh, I pursued psychology because I wanted to understand my own sinfulness, really, when it comes down to it. My own patterns of behavior. Why do I think the way I think? How do I, how do I get... How do I get free of this? And psychology did a great job in helping me identify, man, these are the patterns, these are the behaviors, these things happen, but you know what psychology couldn't do? It could not transform my heart. It gave me behavior modification techniques, but it could not transform my heart. So I'm having this um, recent conversation with a social psychologist at my buddy's birthday party, uh, and you know, we, just, we found out we both worked in the field. I kind of told her what I did. She told me what she did, and she asked, well, so what took you from that to pastoring? And I had to say, psychology does not have the power to transform my heart because Only Jesus can do that. It's only by the Spirit of God. How? How how are you and I transformed? It says with unveiled face, we get to behold the glory of God. This beholding, it's a seeing, it's a gazing. In fact, it has this idea of affection. We're doing it with our heart. It's not mere apprehension of facts, but what we see. Like you can know the gospel that Jesus died for your sins and saved you, but if you don't see him as beautiful and glorious, you're not going to be changed. If you don't understand how the gospel saved you, if you don't see the magnificence of the Son of God, you will not be transformed. So here Paul is telling us, he speaks, he's telling us that this beholding, it it involves our affections and we're to love what we see in Jesus. And friends, guess what? You become what you love. You, You love what you behold and you become what you love. Brief example, um, husbands and wives, how many of you have, have become more alike as you've grown together? 
You laugh at the same things, right? You finish each other's sandwiches. You become more alike. That's what happens. So here's, here's the question, church. What are you beholding? What are you beholding? Are you, if you're growing in your love for who God is, it's because you're beholding the gospel. You're reading the word. You're praying. You're in community with one another. Because we can be transformed by anything. We can be transformed by Netflix. You ever have dreams? You who used to be like friends, binge watchers, did you ever have dreams with the characters? No, just me? Okay, never mind. We are transformed by what we behold. But here's the thing. What Paul is saying is we, have, we now have this gospel of Jesus and we are beholding him. We are being changed and molded into his image as we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Go back to verse 12. He says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. This is the result of the gospel. We are bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face. So this word translated means uh, very, which means great, out of the ordinary. The word bold, it denotes a freedom of speech. Actually, the Greek word itself is a compound word, all in speech. Paul is saying that since we have such a hope, this glorious gospel that's changed us, it's been poured into our heart, it transforms us into the image of God. We have an unordinary desire to speak about this great gospel that is ours. This, this, this is what we are called to, church. Because you are an evangelist for everything you love, are you not? I preach two gospels. The gospel of Jesus and the gospel of CPAP. It's kind of a joke, it's kind of not. But you talk about the things that changed you. That's a whole other story. Okay. I know I'm, I'm pushing time, and my wife says I'm long-winded, so I will try to take some of the wind out of my sail. Um, I think what's important is that we behold, both as uh, wh- whoever's in here, I want you to behold the glory of the gospel of God. That is the aim this morning. My aim, our aim, every time the word is preached is that you would behold it. And I feel like sometimes we, we don't get all the way there. We, we don't really know how the gospel transforms us. What it speaks to. So, Again, I'm going to go back. Gospel elements, creation, fall, redemption, glorification. When we sin, we are believing a false gospel. And it's often because we've placed our identity, our significance, or the fulfillment in something other than Christ, other than God. We blame someone else for the fall, and we look to a different Savior for our hope. And what we're doing and, and what the world in general is doing is saying that you're trying to bring this new creation heaven to the here and now. And guess what? God has not ordained that it's the here and now. The kingdom is here but not yet. 
So when we understand how the gospel speaks to our false gospels, we better understand how the gospel speaks to the false gospels of the world. Because they're the same gospels. Do you get it? They're the same gospel. So I want to share something with you. This is how the gospel speaks to me. When I'm feeling a need in my heart to be loved, to be known, to be significant. When I feel unwanted and alone, insignificant, awkward, unloved, not at home, the gospel speaks. It reminds me that God sent his precious son, only begotten, unique, to redeem to himself the broken and the weak, the poor and rejected, the despised, not the wise, but the cast out, those who struggle with self-doubt. For we don't amount to what the world has called worthy of love. But God is not deceived. He sees the heart of man and has chosen the foolish things to shame them. And by his grace, he bids me come and fasten my soul to his yoke, to lean into his strength and let him pull the plow and take the blows and walk with him as his beloved. All that is fearful and awkward in me fades into his grace. And like a child who is not ashamed to dance in front of her father, off beat, off rhythm, yet tender and sweet to his adoring eyes, I bask in the glory of his love. This world is not my home. I seek a better land, a better country with a better king. Though, though here I am a sojourner, an alien, being despised and unloved to the world has become a lovely thing. For I now have a share in the grace of sufferings with my Christ, my King. I am empowered to love, not by their words, but by His Spirit. The condemnation of the righteous friends, I don't fear it, for I am hidden with Christ for eternity's future, and I no longer am I lonely, but greeted by a host of angelic beings and brothers and sisters who, like me, have fled for refuge to Him. My significance, then, is not rooted in the opinions of men, but in God who spoke and breathed out the stars, created the cosmos, and will pronounce over me, this is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. We have a glorious gospel. A glorious gospel. May it be what consumes your heart and mind, and may it flow from your lips. May you talk about what you love. May it spill out onto others. Because everybody has a gospel, but only this gospel saves. Would you pray with me?